0: This episode of Bloomberg Benchmark is sponsored by HSBC, winner of Trade Finance America's 2016 Company Award for Best Supply Chain Finance Bank in North America. HSBC, where ambition connects with opportunity. Is intervention like a term that is out there? If not, it totally should be, and I should trademark it.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Bloomberg Benchmark Podcast. I'm Daniel Moss, Executive Editor for Global Economics of Bloomberg. My colleague Tori Stilwell, fresh from a two-week vacation in Europe, joins us in Washington. Aki Ito is on leave. Tori, welcome back.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I was in France, Switzerland, and Italy, but I worked for it because I ran a marathon at the very beginning.
1: You weren't tempted to go to Japan.
0: No, not this time around.
1: Well, poor Japan. It can be forgiven for feeling a bit beaten up last weekend. Attending the uh, spring meetings of the International Monetary Fund and G20, that's the group of 20, the ministers and central bankers of the world's largest economies, its finance minister won little sympathy for the pain being caused by a stronger yen. But it wasn't supposed to be that way. Let's take a step back. While these days China gets all the buzz, there was a time not too long ago when serious people thought Japan's economy was going to swallow the world. It was once the world's second largest economy by a long way, and it still matters as the world's third largest economy, a major American ally and an anchor of security in the post-World War II Pacific.
0: That's right. But Ever since a stock and property market bubble burst in the early 1990s, authorities there have been experimenting with ultra-low interest rates, bond purchases, and fiscal expansion. The Bank of Japan was actually a pioneer of quantitative easing, subsequently adopted by most major economies, including here in the U.S.,
1: And yet it's stuck, or worse. A bold effort at reflation by Prime Minister Shinzo Abe and Bank of Japan Governor Hirohiko Kuroda got off to a promising start, but appears to have stalled. Not only is the yen doing the opposite of what it should be doing, but the IMF forecasts the economy will probably shrink this year. Thanks for nothing.
0: Let's let's unpack that for just a second. So, we're saying that the yen is doing the opposite of what it should be doing. So, the economy isn't doing great, it's struggling, uh, and yet the yen is strengthening. Is that right?
1: Yes, and it's strengthening, you know, even though they've really thrown the kitchen sink uh, at the economy as far as monetary policy is concerned.
0: So, joining us on the phone to help us make sense of all this from Tokyo... After just returning from the IMF meetings is Bloomberg's Toru Fujioka. Toru, you travel a lot with the finance minister and you were actually in DC with him this weekend. How's your uh, how's your jet lag hanging up?
2: <laughs> oh, the jet lag is still there but you know, it's getting better. Good. So, thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me today.
0: Of course. Thanks for joining us. So, um, so this did not sound it was a happy meeting here in Washington with all these finance ministers. And at this point, several years into Abenomics and Carudanomics, the place was supposed to be flying. Japan was supposed to be doing a lot better. What gives?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's right. Uh, Japan's policymakers haven't had much good news recently. Just to give you an idea, uh, Japan's economy contracted in the final quarter of last year, and some economists see a good chance of another contraction from January to March. At the same time, as you pointed out, the yen strengthening reversing a uh, weakening trend in the past few years since Prime Minister Abe came to power. I mean that's a big concern for policymakers because overall it squeezes Japanese corporate profits, makes them cautious about investment and raising wages. So that's stopping the economic budget cycle. So that's why Japanese finance minister Taro Asoho tried hard to get some sympathy from G20 last weekend. He told at the G20 dinner that uh, disorderly or excessive currency movements are undesirable. And at one-on-one meeting with U.S. Secretary Jack Lew, he said he has a deep concern with recent-year appreciation and repeated. Disorderly currency movements are undesirable. It's unusual for Japanese finance minister to express his concern on foreign exchange markets in this express way. But what happened was within 24 hours after ASO spoke to reporters, Jack Greer said Japanese to boost domestic demand and markets are moving orderly despite recent Yen gains. That indicated a clear difference with ASO and that investors took it as a big no-no from the U.S for Japan to intervene in markets, even if it wants it.
1: A frustrating yes. moment for Japanese officials, clearly. What about the decline in oil, Toru? That was supposed to be a good thing, but that really hurt the efforts to reflate the economy.
2: You know, I think it's still providing some support to consumers, especially those in living in rural areas. But so, oil price drop has pushed down the rate of inflation. So, unlike other major nations, Japan has experienced deflation for about 15 years. So, the prolonged deflation has a big risk for Japanese companies, households, to keep their deflation in mindset.
0: I want to also put, a, put this in context a little bit. So, when we're talking about the strengthening yen, um, if we're comparing it to the dollar, it's up. Just about ten percent this year, and that's the second most of most of the major currencies in the world. That seems like quite a significant move. But how does that compare to years past?
2: Up until this year, I think uh, since I started, uh, yen weakened like twenty percent or thirty percent. So,
0: the- so this could be just yeah, some that- unwinding of that then.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's true. But uh, if you think about where Japan started, it. That it went up to like 75.35, and companies are really struggling with the level. That has improved, but uh, companies, it's better for now. Companies have a weaker yen.
1: And yet, life in Japan is still pretty comfortable. People still make a good living. There's no sense of crisis. Does any of it matter?
2: In the short term, yes. I mean, life. I mean, that's probably why we haven't had major changes in the economic policies, but uh, in the long term, that's going to be a concern, and who knows what's going to happen with if, uh, if Japan continues to have a deflation, and why we have the uh, dip uh, biggest debt burden.
1: Well, Taro, it's been great you could join us so soon after arriving home. Get some uh, rest. Thank you.
2: <laughs> thank
1: you. So after a word from our sponsor, we'll be back with our next guest.
0: This episode of Bloomberg Benchmark is sponsored by HSBC. With over 8,000 global relationship managers on the ground in over 60 countries, HSBC makes your global ambition their local business. HSBC.
1: Well, our next guest is also no stranger to Japan or Japanese economics. Jeff Young, you've been following the country for a couple of decades, including a stint as chief economist at Citigroup in Tokyo. You now have your own firm called Deep Macro. It's great you could join us. You know, listening to Toru makes me wonder whether this current condition is really just normal for Japan and the decades after World War II that saw the spectacular growth were they were the aberration.
3: Yeah, I think that there's something to be said for that. Um, right after World War II, there was an enormous amount of um, reconstruction that had to happen, um, an enormous amount of the labor force that had to be brought into the modern economy, and an enormous catch-up uh, that had to be done with uh, the United States and the other advanced countries. Japan pretty much reached that point uh, some, you know, in the late 1980s, the early 1990s, Um, And since then, it's been dealing with problems like the demographic um, issues. And um, for a country undergoing Japan's uh, demographic shifts, I think this really does raise a question. How fast can you expect to grow?
0: Right. But many other countries are also facing huge demographic issues that will catch up with them sooner or later. And yet... Japan really does seem to be mired in this environment where they can't get inflation to pick up no matter what they do, uh, where the economy is starting to struggle and is obviously uh, creating concern out there. I mean, is this something unique to Japan though that, that no matter what they try to do, they just can't get it going like they want?
3: Well, I think that there's a, a couple things to point out. You're entirely correct that there are many countries um, who have uh, similar demographics at least uh, looking forward. Uh, but Japan was, you know, they had they aged much faster um, than anybody else. If you look at things like uh, the old age dependency ratio, if you look at things like the change of the working age population, uh, Japan sort of hit the skids in terms of um, demographics being favorable for growth. You know, quite a bit before. Uh, but I think that what you're pointing to, if uh, if um, you know, I would extend that is that, you know, countries like Korea, um, you know, they have you know a somewhat Japan esque uh, uh, future to look at, at least in terms of uh, where their demographics are going. The other thing that I think has something to do with the deflation, although it's been an awful long time, uh, is Japan also had its financial crisis, um, a, a big one, um, and it in the 1990s. And the slow response to that, um, the near collapse of the banking system once, twice, three times, uh, the impact that that has had throughout the economy seems to be very, very deep-rooted. Difficult to quantify, especially given that the crisis has been over for an awful long time. uh, But it does seem to have had a long-term negative effect on sentiment that officials, including uh, uh, Governor Kuroda, uh, have continuously pointed out that they're really trying their best to undo. And I think that maybe the banking crisis was one of the root causes of that. The demographic issues have been pretty well documented. I mean, if you flip through
1: late-night TV in a hotel in Tokyo, you'll come across lots of ads for adult diapers and adult daycare. Is there something beyond that? Uh, Let's talk about the term kairetsu.
3: Yes, um, the uh, Japanese industrial groupings uh, usually with a bank um, at the center. Um, they'd have, um, generally speaking, you know, manufacturing companies, an insurance company, um, a lot of different um, uh, companies in an industrial grouping, uh, and a lot of the business would uh, take uh, place within those groups. Um, I don't think that they've had such a role uh, in the economy um, recently. Uh, One thing that uh, really has been noticeable during the period of deflation or or very close to deflation is the relationship between small firms and large firms, uh, where there has been just a continuing grinding pressure from the large firms uh, toward their smaller suppliers to... Please cut your prices. We're not going to pay you more this year. In fact, we're going to pay you a little bit less, and that has had a very uh, th- that has had a, a pretty strong deflationary impact of the economy uh, because the small businesses um, employ a lot of people. So if they're receiving every year a little bit less uh, for the products they produce. That has meant that every year they've been having to f- pay their workers a little bit less. Uh, and that has, I think, been one of the structural forces, if you look at the how the corporate sector is arranged, uh, that has contributed to this um, undertow, let's say, of deflation.
0: And and also contributing to that, just kind of bringing it back to the conversation that we had earlier at the top of the show, is the strengthening yen. And, you know, at the IMF meetings, Japan really didn't get a lot of sympathy. Um, Treasury Secretary Jack Lew here in the U.S. really urged them to just kind of ride this out, to not engage in any intervention to weaken their currency is I, I'm curious about this. Is yen intervention like a term that is out there? If not, it totally should be, and I should trademark it.
3: <laughs> I hadn't heard it before. I, actually, I'm, I'm, I have not either, and it's uh, kind of surprising. That's a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. Look, the the G20 um, have a longstanding uh, policy against intervention unless markets are disorient disorderly. Um, and I think that they're saying, look, um, the yen has appreciated, but it hasn't really appreciated in a disorderly fashion yet. I think that there's a general unease globally also with this whole phenomenon of negative interest rates. Mm-hmm. Um, Japan wasn't the first to go negative. Uh, you know, They were probably the first towards zero um, uh, long ago. Um, so Japan can certainly say, look, we're not unique there. But I do think that when they uh, rather surprisingly cut their part of their interest rates, only a very small portion of the whole structure, but some of the interest rates below zero in January of this year, that did seem to represent uh, a broadening um, of the whole negative interest rate phenomenon from Europe, where several central banks maintain uh, some form of negative rates. Now Japan has it, you have some people talking about it uh, in the US, and I think that that's just uncharted territory. So um, On the monetary side, there does seem to be a sense of, let's not do anything dramatic, and let's uh, try to see if what China is doing in terms of stimulating the economy with fiscal policy. Um, Um, tightening up uh, regulations on capital outflows a little bit more. Maybe that's enough to sort of stabilize uh, the global industrial cycle and to stabilize the emerging markets, which were really the the locus of the weakness last year.
0: And there's also been some talk of helicopter money uh, in Japan. Would you walk us through that idea a little bit?
3: Sure. Um, It really is basically a tax cut or fiscal spending that is financed by the central bank uh, rather than the government issuing debt.
0: So another one of these very unorthodox measures.
3: Yes, I think so. And you could argue that Japan has implicitly done this before, um, but the I think the argument is that it might be bigger or even more radically if the Bank of Japan is buying the bonds uh, that would be issued in order to finance this fiscal expansion maybe they would just stuff them in the drawer and not ask uh, to be repaid uh, when um, they come due. This would be a true monetization. Um, I don't think that Japan is there, uh, but there has been some talk of that. And I think that there's a very important distinction uh, between the circumstances in which perhaps helicopter money is appropriate and the circumstances that that Japan faces right now.
1: You know, Jeff and Tori, it feels like there's a real element of tragedy to this. You've these two guys, Abe and Kuroda. They've done a lot since they've been in office. And yet it seems like they're swimming against these long-term forces, and in the case of oil, a bit of bad luck, uh, that are just thwarting them. I mean, it does seem like a tragedy, really. Can two men really make a
3: difference? This would suggest not. Well, I, th- I think that there are a couple... The couple big forces that we've spoken about. The first is demographics. Uh, the second would be just the very large level of public debt, uh, which I, you know, I would I would argue that um, your colleague Toru referred to indirectly when he talked about the consumption tax hike. The reason why the Ministry of Finance has consistently wanted to hike this tax is to raise revenue to begin to slow the debt, the pace of debt accumulation and maybe to reduce it eventually.
0: And this is essentially just a sales tax?
3: That's true, uh, but the, the, the problem is, is that Japan has so much debt um, as a result of these past fiscal stimulus packages, as a result of just the weakness of the economy, um, that the public is now expecting these tax hikes pretty regularly. And so if you have really poor demographics, and you have um, a public that expects tax hikes to pay for those, it's not 100% clear that the counter-cyclical measures that uh, the prime minister and the governor of the central bank have been implementing are really enough to change the tide. You can certainly affect growth for a little while, which, is, which has happened, but you tend to go back into that sort of negative equilibrium of a very, very slow decline.
1: I thought we'd close with a bit of historical perspective. You know, the way people talked about Japan back in the late 80s and the early 90s, there was a real sense it was gonna swallow the world. Everyone was struggling to adopt Japanese decision-making practices. No C-suite was complete without books lying around called things like, oh, I don't know, the Toyota Way or a Japan that can say no. It feels a little embarrassing in retrospect. Should we have known better? And is there another Asian country we're making the same mistake about?
3: Well, I think I know where you're going there. And I think that we may indeed be making that mistake. Um, I would just say, from my experience as an economist, that it's very difficult to separate out uh, the micro foundations of success and failure versus the macro ones. Um, Everything that you just mentioned were... Uh, Microeconomic strengths of Japan, m- many of which they still have. Uh, and as you pointed out, you know, there are some very good firms. It's a great place to live now, especially given that it's not as expensive as it used to be. Uh, but if you have too much debt, um, and if you have a banking crisis, um, and then you compound that with the demographics, the best corporate sector in the world is going to have trouble growing. And with respect to China, uh, perhaps that uh, question is becoming a legitimate one. Clearly, there are a lot of good Chinese companies. There's obviously a very vibrant, uh, I don't know what the right word is, acquisitive, capitalistic ethic, a real growth ethic out there. But if China continues to accumulate debt at the rate that it has been, um, will that become as big of a constraint on growth as it has in Japan. I think as a macroeconomist, I'd have to say it might. Well, Jeff, we could talk about this for quite a while, but we've got
1: to wrap it up. Thanks for sharing your perspective with us. And thanks to all of you for listening to Bloomberg Benchmark. We'll be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, and Google Play. And while you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us.
0: And feel free to let us know what you thought of the show. As always, we are available and active on Twitter. I'm at Tori Stillwell, and Dan is at Daniel Moss DC. Jeff, do you have a Twitter?
1: Yes, I'm looking at it right now on Jeff's business card. It's at Deep Macro. We'll see you next week.
0: This episode of Bloomberg Benchmark was sponsored by HSBC. With HSBC, you have up-to-the-minute visibility and control of your global cash positions, so your business can move at the speed of opportunity. HSBC.